Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. Go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 3, we'll get there in a second. I hope you got a, uh, we're trying out a new thing for our studies, we're going to hand out some notes, I hope everybody got a, a little note, a page, and what, we'll, what we do, if you saw it, it's kind of fill in the blank style, so as we go through the study tonight, um, we've provided some of the information for you already, and then uh, you know you can just fill in the rest. What we're trying to do is just really encourage good note taking. Uh, I think that's kind of a, a lost art in churches today. Is you know people kind of just come and sit here and zone out and go home. And so we want to make sure that you're learning and that you're grasping, and then that way you have something to take home and look back over if you forgot about something or whatever. And there should be pens in the back of the chair in front of you. Um, so now, how you're going to write, you're just going to put it on your knee and just kind of figure it out, okay? We didn't, we didn't think that far ahead, I'm sorry. But tonight, we're actually going to be wrapping up um, studying our last attribute of God. Um, that's not to say that we've said all that there is to say about God by any means. Uh, we have not scratched the surface by a long shot. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about the love of God. It is the last attribute we will look at, but it is far from the least. Uh, I would like to establish at the beginning how unbelievably inadequate I feel to talk about the love of God. It is just an unfathomable, incomprehensible kind of love that my vocabulary, human language itself fails to paint a, an accurate picture in our minds. Our, our human language is too weak to try to, to hoist up at the highest point of our minds the glory of the love of God. Even the highest point of our mind would just pale in comparison to the, the heights of the depths of God of the love of God. If, if the universe had arms, even the furthest reaches of the universe would not be able to grasp and encompass the vastness of the love of God. It's just so deep and so wide and so high and so unbelievable that there's no way that I, we will do it justice tonight, but we will do our best and we will learn more than we know by the grace of God. There's a, uh, a lot of songs today that say God is love. There's a lot of messages that talk about God is love. There's a lot of bumper stickers that say God is love and coffee mugs and t-shirts. There's plenty of 
Christian material out there that says God is love. But so often when we hear of God's love, it always sounds like this just really emotional, really responsive, almost needy teenage girl kind of love. That's not my God. His love is ferocious. His love is terrifying. His love is powerful. His love changes you. Almighty God is not a soft, cuddly teddy bear just because he is love. His love is something to be reckoned with. We hear songs that say that that God's love is reckless. But God's love is not reckless. He is is the most well-thought-out, most well-prepared, well-planned being in all of existence. God's love is profound. And it is deserving of all of our reverence. The old theologian A.W. Pink says, There are many today who talk about the love of God who are total strangers to the God of love. That just really hits me. Like, wow. Strangers to the God of love. Church, we do not want to be counted among those who have a shallow, empty view of God's love. We want to know. We want to search out the depths of his love. And we want to take our minds as far as they can go. So, That's what we will endeavor to do tonight. If you will stand with me, we're going to read the most familiar verse in probably all of Scripture, John 3, 16. This is the Word of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just stand here, just humble before you, God. Just like a puny ant next to a planet. Lord, how insignificant we are next to the Almighty God. Father, tonight I pray that your love shines forth through this, through this message, through your word, God. I pray that your love shine brilliantly tonight, God. I pray that my words, Father, though they may be weak to adequately express the fullness of your love, God, I pray that you would use them and that your word would go forth and penetrate our hearts and that we would be transformed by the everlasting love of God tonight. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so on the back of your sheet, there is a, um, just a big wide open area to take notes. Uh, so this might be something you want to write down. Uh, but there are three God is statements in the Bible. Only three, imagine that. There are three statements in the Bible that say God is dot, dot, dot. The first one, we find it in John 4, 24. It says God is spirit. You remember that verse where he says that 
true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. That is to say that he's not a spirit, but he is spirit. He fills the fullness of existence because he is spirit. We studied that early on in our our attribute study. The second one is God is light. That's from 1 John 1.5. God is light. And yet again, we notice that it doesn't say God is a light. It doesn't even say God is the light. But that simply God is light. That he is what defines light. There is no light outside of God because he is light itself. That is a profound thing to wrap your head around. So we have God is spirit. We have God is light. And the last one tonight we'll study is God is love. From 1 John 4, 8. And yet again, bear with me if I sound redundant, but it's not saying God loves or that God is loving or even that God is the most loving being in the universe. It says that God is love. That means that there is no love outside of God Almighty. He is the essence of love. Love is his nature. Love is the essence of God. It is love. But I want you to notice all three of those. That God is spirit, so he's immaterial. We can't see him. We can't put our hands on him. We can't shake his hand or give him a a warm embrace. And that God is light. This is in reference to his holiness. That God is so unbelievably holy that he is light. And that God is love. These are the three statements that God chooses to put forth about himself in his inerrant, infallible word. Is that he's light, that he's spirit, and that he's love. We would do well to learn these three and know them. But tonight we're going to focus on God is love and to read that passage of 1 John 4, 8, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. How much does a world, the, the world that we're living in today, need to know that God is love? And the reason why there is so much chaos in this world today is because there is no love outside of God. And when you have shunned God and you've taken him out of every context that you can possibly imagine, you remove love because God is love. And we can't have love without God. The word that's most commonly associated with the love of God is agape. Surely you're familiar with the different, some people call them the the love languages or some people call them, there's a bunch of different words for it, but you know, um, there's agape is the, the top of the line. It's like the creme de la creme of, of love. And it's a self-sacrificial kind of love. It's a preferential kind of love. And it's the kind of love that the Lord loves us with. Moreover, it's the kind of love that he is. He's self-sacrificial. He gives. 
He lays his life down, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, to kind of paint some, some more color on this portrait, think about married couples, or even people, if you've just ever dated someone, you know, and you say, I, I love this person because dot, 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 because they clean up after me. I love this person because they always start the dishwasher and I never have to ask. I love this person because she makes great fajitas, right? There's a bunch of different reasons that we fill in why we love somebody. And what we're doing is we're, we are meeting that person's characteristic. We're responding to that in love. But you see, God's love does not respond. His love is initiating. He loves first. He loves the unlovable. See, many times, I know that a lot of women really love puppies, and sometimes there's just a dog that's just so ugly. You know, it's just, the, just ugly. It's got bug eyes, and you know, its tongue hangs out of the side of its mouth, and it's mangy. And we find reason to love that, right? Where it's so, it's so ugly, I love it. I love this puppy because it's so ugly. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But in, in a very, in, in, in a sense, that is how God's love works. Is he loves what's unlovely. He loves the unlovable. The ones that everybody else writes off, God says they're mine. The outcasts, the, the too sinful to be around, the I can't stand them. God loves them. As Dr. Stephen Lawson says, what amazing love it is when God chooses to love what is unlovely. So tonight we're going to look at, as you see on the front of your page, we're going to look at five displays of the love of God. Five different ways that God displays his love. And the first way, this might be new to you, is that his love is inner Trinitarian. What in the world does that mean? That's a lot of syllables. Inner Trinitarian. Our definition here is that God's love is shared perfectly within the Trinity, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God the Father loves God the Son. First and foremost, God's love is within the Godhead. It is expressed perfectly within the Trinity. Let's read, let's look at these passages. And you don't have to turn there, I know you're writing. I'll read them to you so you can just listen. But Matthew 17.5, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is revealing his, a, a, a bit of his glory to, the, to his disciples. And it says, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's God the Father affirming and confirming his son, Jesus Christ, saying, this here is my beloved son. 
Now, I know that beloved, you know, we, we hear that. And we, it doesn't really resonate. You know, it doesn't really penetrate with how meaningful that is. But God the Father is saying, this is my son. I love him so much. I am so pleased with my son. Listen to him. And this is God Almighty. This is Yahweh speaking from a cloud, affirming the Son, Jesus Christ, saying, I love him. He's my son. John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 5, 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And just to go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Wow. God the Father loving God the Son with an unfathomable love. And their love is exchanged perfectly. Why? Because God is perfect. And there is, he's holy. There is no shaping or shadow within him. He is pure and holy. And the love that exists between father and son is just unthinkable. Maybe we've never thought about this. And it could be one of the reasons why we, we miss out on the depth of the love of God. When the father looks at the son, he is pleased and delighted in him. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. He reflects who God is. That's why he is fully God, Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of human history, all of human history, all of redemptive history is about God the father collecting for his son a bride of redeemed sinners. And on the last day in the book of Revelation, it says that there will be a great wedding feast, a great wedding. And what's going to happen on that day is that God the Father is going to present the bride to his son, Jesus Christ. And that bride will be spotless and blameless and holy and perfect. Why? Because she has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Wow. We're a part of that. Doesn't that give meaning now to your life? I am a part of God's plan to give a bride to his son. And guess what? The father will not fail his son. He will not come up void in delivering on his promise to his son. This is happening and is going to happen because of the profound love the father has for the son. So in this, and this could be a, an entirely different display of God's love, but I'm going to include it in this this display, but God's love is holy. 
Because God's love is first and foremost shared intertrinitarily, I messed it up too. Because it's shared within the Trinity, within the Godhead, and because God is perfect and holy, God's love is holy. So you see, God's love is not like our kind of love where we're willing to turn a blind eye to some sin in our loved one's lives. A lot of times we're willing to turn a blind eye because, well, I don't want to step on their toes. I don't want to offend them. But that's not a holy love. Because a holy love calls those things out. Because it's pure. It's righteous. It's holy. And that's why we see over and over and over again all throughout Scripture, God's message is repent. Turn away from your sin. Why? Because his love is holy. Every aspect of the Lord is holy. His, his, right, his, his justice, his wrath, his love, it is holy. So we, let, let us not get confused with the kind of love, the brand of love that, that we have in our culture today and, and then say things like God is love and then begin to think that the kind of love I see here is the kind of love that God has. It's not. It's not even close. It's imperfect. It's broken. It's fallen. But the love between the Father and the Son, and the, the love shared in the Godhead, in the Trinity, is absolutely perfect and holy. And this is why the same God who is love says... Be holy, for I am holy. That's 1 Peter 1, 13-16, if you'd like to reference that. But our second display of God's love is that God's love is sacrificial. God's love is displayed in giving himself for us. You ever wanted to give a great gift to your loved one and you were thinking, what could I possibly get them? What, what can I get them that's going to make them smile and cry? Smile, cry, cry, smile. Cryle? I don't know if that works. What can I get them that's going to make them smile and laugh and cry? All of those things at once. And what do we do? We, maybe, maybe you make a card or maybe you cook dinner or you do whatever else. But God's love is displayed in him giving himself because he wanted to give the greatest gift that can be given. And there's nothing greater than him giving himself. John 15, 13, our, our references that are on the screen. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That someone is Jesus. John 10:15 I lay down my life for the sheep. John 3:16 As we read at the beginning, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Then 1 John 3:16 By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. His love is displayed in the giving of himself, in the laying down of his life. 
I want you to notice another thing from John 3.16. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. So I want you to see from that that God so loved the world, already loved the world, that he gave his son. What we need to understand from that is that God the Father did not give the Son to the world and then the Son die for your sins so that He could talk the Father into loving you. Jesus Christ did not come into this world and bear your sins and die under the weight of the wrath of God so that He could convince God the Father to love you. No, that's not what happened. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. That means He already loved you. How can this be? Before you were clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the Father already loved you. I, I just, I can't even fathom that. That is unbelievable. In this, God sets the standard and the example of love that Love is not about what you can get. Love is about how much you can give. How can I give of myself? How can I give of my time, of my effort, of my desire, of my affection? That's why over and over and over again, God's commands are not give me your car, give me your money. God's commands are give me you. It's the ultimate expression of love. It's to give yourself entirely. And he set this example in giving us the greatest gift of all time, himself. God gave us God uh, to, to a nation, to a country, to a people, to a generation that had its back turned on him in active rebellion against him. He gave his son in love. Not just one of his sons. Not one of a thousand sons to choose from. His only one. The one that he loved with a perfect love from eternity past. He gave that son for us. Our third display of God's love is that it is initiating. God's love is sovereign. God's love is uninfluenced. And God is always the first to move. We know this from John, 1 John 4.19 that says we love because he first loved us. He initiated Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was unlovable, while I was unlovely, while I was in rebellion against God, Christ died for me. An incredible love. Ephesians 1 the very last two words of verse 4 and verse 5 say, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons 
through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That means it has nothing to do with you. God's love for us, for you and for me, does not spring forth from him in response to something lovely within you. That means that you're not attracting God to love you. You're not coercing the Lord to love you. You're not wooing the Lord to love you. He loved you when you could not be loved by anyone. Wow. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. You see, it's not that we were chasing after him or that we loved him or we were so great. It's not that we loved God first, but that he loved God. Us, and he sent his son forth as a propitiation for our sins. Martin Luther, the uh, man who's often uh, credited for the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, says, or said rather, God doesn't love us because we are of worth. We are of worth because God loves us. That's crazy profound. We are not of worth. God does not love us because we are of worth. We are of worth because God loves us. We had no value. The song that we sing says, I had no righteousness of my own. I had nothing to offer God, but now I am valuable because he loves me. Because he gave his son for me. Now I am valuable. Now I do have worth. Now I do have significance. Why? Because God loves me. This ought to change your whole world when you grasp the love of God towards you. The Lord loves us out of his own sovereign will. That's what it said in Ephesians, that it was according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us in love according to the purpose of his will. Not because of anything else, but because he wanted to. His sovereign will. If he loved us from eternity past, before the foundations of the world, then his love towards us cannot have anything to do with us. This is a good thing. That before I was born, God set his love on me and you. Before I ever came forth, before that my parents decided on calling me Matthew Alexander Cavazos, before my parents were married, before they were even born, before there was even a tree on this planet, 
God set his heart on me in love. What? If you are in Christ, it's the same for you. It's not just because I'm the pastor. It's because I'm in Christ. And if you are in Christ, my brethren, the same is true for you. That before you were born. So then listen to that. If God's love towards you has nothing to do with you, that means that you can't change it. That means that you can't mess it up. That means that you're not going to mess up so bad one day that God says, never mind. He knows everything. We learned He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's everywhere. There's nothing that God doesn't know. And God chose you before you ever did anything. That will set you free from a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. When you realize that his love is irrevocable. It's on you. If it's on you, it's not coming off of you. If God's love has come and been shed abroad in your heart, it's never leaving. Ever. We finally find something that lasts forever in Jesus Christ. But if God were to react towards us, if God's love were not sovereign, if God's love were hingent upon you and I, then absolutely we have every reason to fear. We have every reason to worry and to, and to work our tails off to try to earn his love and keep his love. But it's not the case. Instead, God has initiated his love towards you before you existed. And all our response is to put our faith in that and be set free. We are set free then to work unto the glory of God. We're set free then to do all the menial tasks in the world because I don't care. God loves me. I have everything I need. He set his heart on me before the foundations of the world. What more could I ask for? The answer to that is nothing in case it weren't obvious. God's love was set towards you without consulting your behaviors, your characteristics, your talents, your skills or abilities. And if that's true, then those things won't change his mind. It doesn't absolve us from responsibility or from pursuing holiness, but instead that frees us to do those things. Number four, God's love is infinite. That means that his love is without measure. Ephesians again, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, alive together with Christ. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I want you to see that one. Circle John 17, 23 and go and read that. 
Because Jesus is praying for his disciples and saying, you're going to love them. My Father is going to love you as much as he loves me. The unshakable, irrevocable, unfathomable, infinite love that the Father has towards his Son, he now has that love towards you if you are a believer. The same love that the Father loves the Son with, he loves you with. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. John 17.26 I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you see when you are saved when the, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, when you have been regenerated, when, when you are made a new creation in Christ, He, His Spirit is in you in such a way that now the Father looks at you and sees His Son. And He's moved to love you the way He loves His Son. And of course, John 3.16, that God so loved the world. There was so much love that he had towards the world. There was, it was so extravagant, the love that he had for the world, that he gave his son. He gave everything. He gave himself. God's love cannot be measured. The love of God is an inexhaustible river that overflows at its banks. We have measurements, these terms that we use when there's such a, a large amount of something, right? Like we use tonnage. Tons means a couple thousand pounds. And pounds is, is a measurement, a bigger measurement of something smaller but no matter how big you get or how many miles you want to use or how many pounds you want to use or, or ounces or kilometers or whatever other unit of measurement you want to use, it will all pale in comparison and fall short to adequately encompass the fullness of the measure of God's love towards us in Christ. All of it. We don't have a word for it. That's why so many times we just say, wow. Wow. That much love? When, when I was unlovable? When, when I had my back turned against you? When I was in active rebellion against you, you loved me? If God's love be so great... What excuse could we possibly make to not give him everything? God's love, God loves us with an infinite love because he loves his son with an infinite love. It is the love of the father towards the son that is then bestowed upon us 
as we are in Christ. And lastly, God's love is eternal. It is without end, but not just without end. You see, to be eternal means that it didn't have a beginning either. God's love has just always been there. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And then back to Ephesians again, Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1.1, before let there be light, his love was already set upon you. Psalm 103, 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord, of Yahweh, is from everlasting to everlasting. From, from eternity past to eternity future. From all eternity, God has loved his elect. God has loved the bride with an everlasting love. God's love must be eternal because God is eternal. And if God is love and God is also eternal, then it only stands to reason that the love of God is also eternal. God has loved his elect so immensely that he has sovereignly guaranteed. That means he made this guarantee without asking us that we would be with him for all of eternity. He made this guarantee from eternity. Wrap your head around that. You see, John 3.16, it's a simple verse that everybody's heard. But in that verse, we find so much of the love of God. Four of these five displays are in that one verse. We see that it's sacrificial because he gave his son. We see that it is initiating because he gave his son. We see that it is infinite because God so loved the world. And we see that it is eternal because he did this so that we would not perish but have eternal life. That we would live with him in eternity. That he may shower his love upon us for all of eternity. Let us take a moment to reflect on our own lives. Think of the many sins you've committed. Think of the many promises you've broken towards the Lord. Think of the many times you've said, I'll do better, I'll do better, and you haven't. Think of all of the ways that you have failed him. Now, look at the cross and understand that God had a plan since before he created the heavens and the earth to bear all of those sins on the cross. 
He purposed in his heart before he created the sun, moon, and stars to display his radical, ferocious love for you by laying down his life on the cross. He shows his love for us by coming into the world that he created to live the life that we are incapable of living. He did this only to go to the cross bearing the full weight of your sins, every one of them, and then dying under the weight of the wrath of God that was meant for you. But he did rise on the third day, as we all know, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father who loves him so. He said, as Jesus crossed back into that heavenly place. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you and I, if we put our faith in that beloved son, he will look towards us with that same love. The unlovable, the unlovely, the impossible people He will put that love towards us. And we can now abide in this love instead of under the wrath of God when we repent of our sins and we put our faith in Christ and call upon him as Lord. Now I want us to leave here tonight understanding that as as Paul writes in, in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. I want you to leave here tonight knowing that if and when you encounter suffering, it is not because God doesn't love you. You cannot look at the cross of Calvary and think that the absence of suffering or affliction, or torment, or trials, or sorrows, or persecution, or sickness, or poverty, or pain, is a measure of the love of God towards you. You see, God loves his son in the most unfathomable way, yet it was his good pleasure to send him forth and break him and pour his wrath on him. So, beloved, if, if, you in, if and when you encounter suffering, know that God loves you in the midst of that, and that will not separate you from his love. And it doesn't mean he's turned his back on you. It also means that God has loved you through your darkest, most sinful moments with an everlasting love. Before you were ever born, God set his heart toward you and affections upon you in love. It is an irrevocable, irresistible, incomprehensible, infinite, initiating love. So, Christian, know this. The God who has saved you loves you, and nothing 
can ever separate you from that, not even you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for sending your Son that we may know this love. We thank you so much for displaying your love first and foremost between the Father and the Son. We thank you that we get to play a part in in your redemptive history, in your gathering a bride for your Son, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you that your love is displayed towards us in in sacrifice, that your love is is initiating towards us, that your, your love is infinite and eternal, Lord. We thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love when we were unlovable, God. Lord, I pray that you help us every day to grow into a fuller knowledge and understanding and belief in that love that we may love you back as much as humanly possible, Lord. Go with us tonight, Father, and be glorified in our lives. In your holy name we pray, amen. You can stand. We will be starting a, um, we're going to do a recap next Wednesday of all of the attributes because this has been, this has covered several months. So we'll do a recap and um, then we'll move on to the next study. So until then, grace, peace, and mercy to you all.